This episode was sponsored by Book of the Month, which is a curated book subscription that offers five new and early release books to choose from each month. Um, I've personally used Book of the Month before. It is a great way to discover new authors. Yeah, now that we're all um, locked indoors for the foreseeable future, there's never been a better time to pull up an extra book to read in addition to um, our usual books and mobile book club picks. Book of the Month's editorial team chooses their books, um, vetting them from hundreds per month. And you, as a subscriber, can choose up to three books each month for them to ship right to your door. And also, Book of the Month is commitment-free. You can skip a month uh, if you don't find any books that you want to read. Uh, and you can save those as credits for next month. Check out their website at bookofthemonth.com um, to learn more about the book picks. And you can also get your first month's book for just $9.99 with the promo code Books and Boba, all caps lock. Again, the website is bookofthemonth.com and you can get your first month's book for just $9.99 uh, with the promo code Books and Boba. And now to our episode. And welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it is time to discuss our April 2020 book club pick, Mimi Lee Gets a Clue by Jennifer J. Chow. But first, Rira, how was your April? Uh, it was good. I, I turned 30 last week. Uh, it was really weird because everything is, you know, in pandemic mode and... <laughs> And uh, this wasn't really quite the birthday that I would uh, that I thought I would have, but it was really nice because people people sent me food over DoorDash. I kept getting food all day. Uh, we had an Animal Crossing party, so That's nice. that was nice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how are you, Marvin? How was your April? I, April was long, um, not as long as March. Actually, I take that back. April went by like really quickly, I feel like. It's one of those time warpy things where every day felt long, but I'm looking back and like where did April go? You know? Especially coming up on May, which is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, uh, which for us um organizers in the Asian American like community space is the most busiest month in the world. And at first we thought, okay, well everything's being canceled. Uh, maybe it'll be a lighter month for us, but we were wrong. It, it's going to be a very heavy month of digital programs. And somehow I found myself on the producing end of like a lot of these programs. So it's been a couple of weeks of just nonstop meetings, um, technical tests, live stream tests. And uh, where I don't know, it's going to be a, a big month. Uh, the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival is doing their virtual showcase. Um, collaborations doing their conference. I think Identity LA is still doing their concert at some point. Cam, like all the Asian film festivals are doing some sort of showcase or panel. And yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be a busy month. For those of you interested in a lot of these digital um Asian American programs for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, uh Phil Yu and Jeff Yang put out a pretty comprehensive calendar of events happening every day. Um, you can check it out at angryasianman.com. I think he posted it on his front page. Uh, but yeah, lots of stuff happening if you're into Asian American culture, heritage, media. The arts. <laughs> um, speaking of digital events, uh, Everywhere Fest, which we have talked about in the last uh, couple episodes, uh, they're going to start uh, tomorrow, May 1st, and it's going to go on until May 2nd. Uh, a lot of our uh, author friends are going to be doing panels, and the schedule should be up on everywherefest.com. Um, also, Asian Author Alliance, they just announced today on Twitter that they're going to be doing a lot of panels with um, Asian authors for, for this month. So uh, check out their Twitter at Asian Author Alliance. They'll be updating their uh, schedule soon, soon, I'm assuming. 
Um, the creators of Asian Author Alliance, you'll probably recognize some of their names. Uh, there's Kat Cho, the author of Wicked Fox, uh, Cindy Pon, um, Karuna Riazi, Lori M. Lee. Lots of Asian authors that, you know, have been around the block, so they're pros. So I'm really excited to see what they have going on. Um, there's also Asian Readathon, which is uh, a month-long readathon in May uh, to celebrate Asian characters and authors. Uh, they have a ginormous list of um, Asian books, and it's categorized by like ethnicity and genres. So you could check that out um, at Asian Readathon on Twitter. It's on their. It, it's a link on their profile. And also, we're going to be doing a 31-day book recommendation challenge. So for each day of May, we're going to be recommending a book. I'll be posting the template on Twitter as well as Instagram so that you guys can recommend books along with us. So it's going to be a fun May. We can probably put it on our website too. Yeah, probably on our website as well. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be busy. Anyways, uh, let's get to our book club discussion, huh? Uh, yes. So we're going to start off with our jacket description. Um, so this is a jacket description for Mimi Lee Gets a Clue by Jennifer J. Chow. Mimi Lee is in over her head. There's her new Los Angeles pet grooming shop to run, her matchmaking mother to thwart, her talking cat marshmallow to tend to. Oh, and then, oh, and the murder of a local breeder to solve. Now, if only Mimi hadn't landed herself on top of the suspect list. Mimi Lee hoped to give Los Angeles animal lovers something to talk about with her pet grooming shop, Hollywoof. She never imagined that the first cat she said hello to would talk back or be quite so catty, especially about those disastrous dates Mimi Lee's mother keeps setting up. When Marshmallow exposes local breeder Russ Nolan for mistreating chihuahuas, Mimi steals some of her cat's attitude to tell Russ off. The next day, the police shows up at Hollywoof. Ruff has been found dead, and Mimi's shouting match with him has secured her top billing as the main suspect. Hoping to clear her name and save the pups Russ left behind, Mimi enlists help from her dreamy lawyer neighbor, Josh. But even with Josh on board, it'll take Mimi and Marshmallow a lot of sleuthing and more than a little sass to get back to the pet grooming life. And off the murder scene. Yeah. And longtime listeners know the drill. This is a book club discussion. We're going to be discussing the whole book, including any and all spoilers. And again, this is a mystery story. So if you don't want to know what happened, um, go read the book. It's actually a pretty breezy read. You can probably finish it pretty quickly. So um, go read the book and come back. Welcome back. How did you read the book so fast? Um, so Mimi Lee gets a clue. We would probably categorize this as a cozy mystery, which is a subgenre in the mystery umbrella where um, the murder isn't grotesque. It's kind of taken with a more lighthearted, humorous tone. And uh, usually the murder takes place in a smaller community. And it focuses more on uh, like slice of life stuff mixed in with the murder. So it is it is like a weird uh, spin on on the usual detective stories. But I like that about uh, about this book. Uh, I think that we needed a lighter read this <laughs> month. Yeah, it's definitely one of those um, unintentional detective stories where. You know, the main character is doing detecting, but they're not a detective. I would go as far to say that Mimi Lee is a terrible detective because she doesn't think. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's so bad. At um, it. She barges into like her main strength or skill is her um, persistence. But she keeps finding herself in places she really shouldn't be if she's trying to throw suspicion off her as a suspect. And um, if it wasn't for her cat, it would have been I think it would have ended badly for her. Yeah, definitely. She is she is not very great at detecting. <laughs> um, uh, before we get into the murder parts of this book, I just want to mention this book is set in Los Angeles and Marvin and I are both based in Los Angeles. So a lot of the setting was very familiar to us. The traffic was very familiar to yeah, us. But to be fair, 
it's set in like a different Los Angeles than the one we live in because we live on the east side and Mimi Lee lives on the west side. It's a totally different lifestyle, <laughs> which you kind of see with the characters in this book. Yeah, by all the characters that uh, Mimi um, interacts with. This story actually had a really large cast. I was um, having a little trouble keeping track of all the characters, um, especially all the white ladies. Yeah, especially all like the, the Chihuahua owners. <laughs> I was just like, oh, wait, which white lady is this? I don't remember. They're all terrible. Yeah, there's, well, cause it's like, there's a Tammy and a Lauren. There's a Nicola. The only person that really stood out is Indira, um, who is the um, lone brown person in this entire like cast of privileged rich people. Uh, which she had a really she has a really interesting story. I think we can go into a little bit later when we talk about characters. Yeah, I really liked yeah. her as a character. Yeah, um, I, I just want to mention. So when I posted uh, when I announced this book on our Instagram, I took a picture. Uh, of the book with my mug <laughs> and my mug says i would take the 101 to the 10 to the 405 for you and <laughs> and while i was reading this book i was drinking tea from it so uh i i was definitely in the mood You're on like brand. i i i was on brand <laughs> so yeah the the cat in this book marshmallow was definitely a scene stealer in my opinion yeah, he's a very, uh, a very. I wouldn't even say charming because he's not really that charming, but it's very sassy, right? Well, this is the Sassy Cat Mystery Series, which makes sense. <laughs> the Sassy Cat Mystery Series, yeah. yeah. And some would say he's like the real star because he's able to not only communicate with humans but also with other animals, and he's kind of set up as the Watson to Mimi's. Sherlock, but I would say she might actually be the Watson. Oh, she's definitely the Watson. <laughs> she has no idea what she's doing. I think, okay, so the thing is, Mimi reminds me a lot of Sandra O's oh character in Killing Eve, mm. where I'm always constantly yelling at them for making very, very bad <laughs> uh, work decisions. I'm just like, why are you going over there? You're like, you're like the prime suspect or like, why, why didn't you, why didn't you secure the location? Like, you're so stupid. Oh, like, it's just me being very frustrated at the main character the entire time. Um, yeah. Most likely because I have read so many murder things and watched so many procedurals where I'm like, how can you, how can you forget gloves? How can you touch that with your dirty fingerprints, which is something that Detective Brown brings up when she when she finds like a crucial clue. <laughs> I mean, she is a bad detective. I think I think we we've established that, and she doesn't really plan things. She's a character with like really bad impulse control, and she tends to like do things without a plan. Right? Like there's that scene where she goes and tries to confront her sister's boss with like. No real plan on how. Okay, but that's not her fault though. It's it's her mom's fault <laughs> because her mom was her mom was the one who set up an appointment with the principal after the principal gave uh, Alice Mimi Mimi's sister the pink slip. Uh, she was like, "You're the older sister. You're supposed to take care of a younger sister. Go talk to her boss and make sure that she's not fired," which is such a such an older child responsibility in my opinion yeah also just bad decisions on her part for like even giving her mom access to her accounts and her identity yeah who the who does that <laughs> who gives their who gives their asian parent access to their google calendar like who does this yeah like her mom is definitely just identity thieving her the entire time Setting up I will dates. say that the matchmaking dates were were like probably some of my favorite scenes because because <laughs> it's just it's just so cringy, but at the same time because it's not happening to you, it's really fun to watch. So I don't like I don't have this experience of having like a super micromanaging parent or someone who's like super stressed out about my ability to marry. Maybe that's because I'm a dude, um, but yeah, like. Her mom's thirstiness was very, very um, <laughs> frustrating as a reader because you're like, come on, mom. Like the thing is, her mom created a dating profile for her daughter. And, filled it with lies. Yeah, filled it with lies. Say that she like got a doctorate degree. I'm just like, oh my God, if my mom did this to me, I would kill her. Like, <laughs> 
I mean, and, and I'm saying that as like my mom has tried to set me up with other guys before. And even then I just wanted to kill her. But if she if she had done the stuff that Mimi's mom did, like trying to set Mimi up with like a college student and like a delivery boy who just like delivers food to her pet grooming shop randomly. Her mom has terrible taste in in men. Well, because her mom we joke about how Asian parents at some point their standards go down. So at first it's like, yeah, must marry a doctor or engineer or someone like with a good career. And then it eventually becomes marry anybody. It doesn't matter. Give me the grandkids. Marry anybody. <laughs> I I think I think Mimi is a little bit too young to be at that stage of marry anybody. She's only 25 years old. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> which I found really surprising because uh, like Mimi is 25 years old and she started a business of her own. In like Malibu, um, right? Or Santa Monica? Yeah, in like in West L.A. Yeah. And I'm like, how... Like, how are you going to survive, girl? Like, <laughs> I mean, she got like, she got funding from a rich white lady who, Pixie St. whose James. dog she yeah. saved. <laughs> it's a very uh, rich person name, I guess. A lot of rich people names in this story. Pixie? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Like dilettante um, names. I will say that West L.A., there are definitely a lot of weird specialty pet shops. Um, a lot of like Beverly Hills type, they have like, they have cute little dogs that they bring everywhere. Um, I've had friends who work in retail business in, in West LA and they sometimes complain about, uh, white ladies bringing in their chihuahuas or their tiny dogs, even though the, the venue, even though the shop says no pets allowed, they're very insistent saying that, oh, my dog is like, my dog is really well behaved. Like, I don't understand. Like, my dog is in my purse. Like, they're not going to hurt anyone. And it's like, well, they're not a service dog. So please don't bring them they're in. Like, How dare you? This isn't the dog. It's my baby. It's my baby. <laughs> Did you see it's in the stroller wearing clothes? Would a dog wear clothes and be in a stroller? It's, it's very like stereotypical, but also stereotypes exist for a reason. <laughs> Well, I think the book does a really good job of, like, showing how far people can take this concept um, because there's doggy yoga. There's, like, doggy, like, acupuncture. There's, like, doggy Tupperware parties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, there's a lot of pet specialty shops and activities in, in West L.A. And even some here in in East LA, I would say, because there's a lot of dogs in Pasadena as well. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, Pasadena is the west side of the east side, to be honest. Oh God, Marvin, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I guess, I guess, I mean, we've we've been kind of like all over the place, but this is this is one of those types of books where it's more about like uh, the atmosphere and also just like. Like, the character just being themselves. Yeah. I mean, while we're talking about, like, the West Side setting and, like, the rich people and what they do with their fancy dogs, we should talk about the person who's, like, working these people, which is Indira, who's someone who we first meet as, like, oh, maybe she's just another, like, rich lady, except she's Indian and um, she's a businesswoman. Uh, but as you learn more about her, like, and then as you learn more about her, her business, which is selling high-end bags to all the rich people in like during these parts like she she attends doggy yoga to like hawk her uh, hawk her bags um after class um she attends like parties to like sell things she's always inventing things and you start to realize that she's a little bit different like while the other women are all like people who married rich she's like a self-made woman who um in the end turns out to be like this um, I don't know the term like so so pretty much like what she does is um she she sells luxury dog items like dog clothing, but you find out later towards the end of the book that she's been recycling fabric and like she's been going to thrift stores and and, and just like uh making these bags and clothes out of old material and she's charging her customers like a very, very high. Um, at a very very high cost 
because she's like, they're rich. And also they deserve to pay extra money for garbage that they tossed out. And I think that is like a very relatable energy. Yeah, in, she's in pretty much like a, like a, yeah, eat the rich, eat the uh, rich. Robin Hood, except, you know, all the riches go to me. But still, <laughs> like kind of, you know, taking advantage of like the vanity of rich people to enrich herself. Um, by selling them their own garbage back, which I thought was super badass. I approve. Like she has a very cold exterior, and at first it looks like she's just using her puppy Ash as a way to, you know, get in on these yoga parties so she can sell her bags. But you know, there's little hints here and there that she actually does care for the dog. Um, like she built an entire like harness to support the dog's um, like a doggy Bjorn crippled leg, right? And um, yeah, I don't know if you read this, but I got kind of got the sense that she, inside her like tough businesswoman ex- exterior, she's a, kind of a softy. Oh yeah, I think so too. Um, I really like the bond that she makes with Mimi because uh, it's kind of like, yo, <laughs> these rich white ladies, like, <laughs> like they expect people to wipe their asses, like, like they expect us to like make their smoothies and do all these things for them and. They think that they're superior. So, like, why not scam them? And, like, I like how they're both, like, recommending each other's businesses and trying to, like, uh, like, trying to, like, co- like co-opt on, uh, on, like, capitalizing on these rich white ladies. And it's definitely just, like, like uh, a scheme yeah. that I can really get behind. And... Yeah, and just, like, their one-on-one conversations are always, like, really fun to read. Because <laughs> there's, like, such, there's such, like, a bitterness to it that I, like, I, I, well, I just, I mean, like, love. That's the thing, right? There are both women who, like, are working in their passions, right? Like, Mimi loves animals. Indira loves fashion, right? You can tell that they really like what they do. But they have to sell to these, like, kind of terrible white ladies, um, to make a living, right? Like they're both essentially in the same boat. So it, it's, it's it was really cool to see them kind of form that bond. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like the story of of immigrants here, like with with like Chinese restaurants. You know, like the food that they sell at Chinese restaurants here. You know, they're not really the type of food that Chinese people in China eat. They have to like <laughs> customize it for white people palettes so it's it's like the same thing it's like oh like i need to customize my dog grooming business to have all of these like weird extraneous things like dog pedicures i I mean like (laughs) dog nail polish and like two dollar uh two dollar a piece doggy treats and stuff like that so um yeah yeah (laughs) um it was fun though at first when mimi was suspecting Indira of maybe being the killer because um like we mentioned Mimi is a terrible detective and it was really fun and a little frustrating to see her like kind of treat everyone as a suspect and jump from people to person this guy might be the killer oh they might be the killer oh they're definitely killer I'm gonna go find out more about them and like just like get herself in situations where she's just chasing down every single lead because there's no like there's no plan yeah there were there were a lot of like there were a lot of like red herrings and a lot of like there was definitely more suspects than I expected there to be. Uh, <laughs> and also just like her there's there's this moment where she calls Detective Brown to to tell him like what clues she found and her being like, I'm innocent, like because I found this. And uh, Detective Brown is like, oh, you did like the number one thing that most criminals do, which is trying to help law enforcement and uh, insist that they're innocent by providing <laughs> pr- by providing quote unquote fake evidence, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> uh, why would you go to the person who suspects you of being the main suspect, suspects you uh, of killing the, killing this person? Like, why would you tell them all of your all of your information? It's just like, why? And and her attorney boyfriend is just like, don't do this. I'm not hearing this. Like, like, please just stay quiet. Stay where you are. Don't investigate. You're, gonna, you're just going to make things worse. 
but she's like oh it's okay i'm like in the neighborhood like i can check things out and it's like no no mimi like (laughs) please stop Uh, one thing that i found surprising uh reading this book was just like how quickly uh things moved in the first like two chapters um i had not expect the Mm. the talking cat to talk that quickly I expected that to happen like after the murder. Um, And I kind of expected uh, her to get into like get into Josh like later on in the book rather it being like instant. I mean, that is the one of the premises of the book. And it would be more weird, I think, if the cat didn't talk right away, because as you know, about Marshmallow, he does not like to keep quiet. He likes to speak his mind and be sassy um so i was kind of okay with that i mean the other thing with like everything moving fast is i think <sighs> mimi lee is just so like impulsive that like it kind of like it kind of had to move fast because she's always like chasing down the first thing that comes to mind so it's like i think it's scattershot and and fast moving for a reason because she's kind of scattershot and fast moving well i was really surprised that she went to go investigate um at russ nolan's house so quickly because she like because like what happens is that she grooms two chihuahuas who seem to have the same uh lethargy and same leg problems and her her being like oh maybe they're from the same breeder i'm gonna go hunt down this breeder i just thought that that was really that was a little bit too quick too impulsive uh if if there was like one more dog that had the same case then i would be like okay yeah she's putting she's putting in the pieces together but the fact that it was just two dogs it just seemed kind of like a leap to me um, I would have to reread that part to see if I still have that same judgment. I want to say it was something the cat said too, right? Like, didn't the cat talk to one of the puppies? I'm not sure. I would have to like reread it again. Yeah. What I found about reading this book is usually when mm-hmm. I read mysteries, I try to like find out who the killer is. Like, I try to like piece all the clues together before the character does. But um, it was really hard to follow along the clues. Mm-hmm. Because Mimi was so scatterbrained, like you said. Um, And I just found myself uh, being more interested in the characters. So I wasn't really following along with like the clue hunting. Other than the fact that she would be breaking and entering. And I'm like, please don't do that. That's like, it's not a great idea. You're going to get caught. So I found myself just like following like the relationships more than the actual mystery. Yeah, I mean, the mystery itself wasn't... um... I mean, it it drove the plot, but it wasn't a very compelling mystery. Like, Mimi Lee is the main suspect of a murder case, but it seemed like Detective Brown wasn't really trying as hard as he should have been, mainly because he seemed... Like, there's a scene where she goes to his office with donuts, and he seems to be mired in paperwork. So it seemed like he was like he was doing other tasks on top of like doing this case. So it never really seemed all that urgent that she uh, clear her name immediately because there's like so many things going on. Well, it also seemed like he like he was playing the cop that wants to close this case quick. So he was trying to intimidate her into confessing. Uh, And when she wasn't doing that right away, that means he had to do police work. Um, And then, yeah, it seemed like he had other police work to do that was more pressing than this one case um because like i think in general besides mimi lee acting very very sketch um there wasn't a lot of evidence besides like an eyewitness testimony from a very unreliable eyewitness oh yeah cheryl (laughs) oh cheryl what a character yeah who was like you're in a story full of karen's she might have been the biggest one yeah i mean she (laughs) She complains about her, like, she complains about everything. She's like, the last, she's like, oh, my last neighbor tried to borrow sugar way too many times. And uh, with Russ, I I mean, she was rightfully annoyed because he had, like, all these chihuahuas locked up in one room without taking good care of them. And they were barking all night. So, um she was she was right in her complaint over there, but she seemed such she seemed like such a salty lady, um, which which was good for the story because she was such like a standout character. 
Uh, but personally, I was like, I I would not be able to stand this lady for, for <laughs> 10 minutes in the same room. <laughs> I don't know how Mimi is able to like go back to this lady like six, seven times. Well, I mean, the lady was the key to her like being a suspect in the first place, you know? Yeah, planting evidence, lying, <laughs> lying because she wanted to keep this like bracelet. Very selfish lady. Yeah. Um, which, you know, she gets a happy ending at the end, but like, does she deserve it? I don't know. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> she deserves to be locked in her apartment and live as a neat and watch YouTube yeah. for like the rest of her life. <laughs> oh. Like, yeah, going back to the mystery part of it, I mean, the way it wrapped up to, like, the way that it revealed who the killer really was, um, it wasn't because Mimi found it out. It was more because the killer got impatient. Like, Mimi didn't solve this mystery. She didn't, like, figure out who it was. Yeah, she didn't have, like, that aha moment. Yeah. She, like, she literally finds out that, like, finds out that Tammy is the killer because Tammy attacks her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, like, at that point, it's like, oh, <laughs> I guess you're the killer. Yeah, you don't have that parlor room scene from, like, you know, the Christie novels where, like, the detective confronts the killer and, like, kind of unravels their plan. It's kind of just like, oh, I guess you're the killer because you're trying to kill me now. Yeah, it's like more like the killer found out uh, what Mimi was doing. Yeah. Rather than Mimi finding out like what the killer was up to. Yeah. The killer herself, Tammy, also a bad killer. Like not a good murderer. How did she kill Russ again? Was it because she, like, was it like. She like um, hits him with a bat or something like. No, was it wasn't it with like a syringe? Like she um, immobilized him with ketamine. Oh yeah, and then and then like hit him over the head. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why she did it was because he sold her um, a chihuahua with like genetic defects, and yeah. she had bought the chihuahua to save her failing marriage. Yeah. Um, but also, like y- you know how a lot of couples they try to salvage their marriage by having another baby. Uh-huh. Uh It was it was it was kind of like that, but with a dog. <laughs> and- <laughs> And just like with with the baby plan, it it never really works. Mm. Don't try to salvage your marriage by adding an extra life in the mix. That's just my personal opinion. I feel like it complicates <laughs> things way more. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about Mimi's detecting life and professional life. Let's talk a little about her personal life because I think this was a good, like, there was a lot of time spent on fleshing that out too. Um, so should we talk about, um, her family or should we talk about her, um, her hot lawyer boyfriend? I think we can talk about her family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mimi is a mixed race. She, her mom is Malaysian and I think, I think Chinese by, yeah, by Malaysian way. And, uh, her father is white and Mimi mentions a couple of times that people, make Asian jokes at her. They call her like Bruce Lee's daughter or whatever. Um, And then there's like a scene where she uh, poses as like an Asian immigrant mom at Tammy's school. And (laughs) that scene was was just like, (laughs) ugh. but also she's able to like gather so much information because she's kind of seen as invisible uh, which is something that, like, you know, uh, which is kind of something that that is brought up in Killing Eve as well. <laughs> there, there's a second killer in Killing Eve uh, uh, where, like, they're an immigrant and no one notices, no one notices them because mm. they're like, they're like a cleaning lady. Well, they, yeah, they um, assume they either can't understand or, like, aren't, don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're they're the help, so you don't pay attention <laughs> yeah. to them. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, in terms of her family, you do get to know her mom and her sister the best. Her dad's just kind of there, and I feel like he's he's like one of those sitcom dads where they're just there to like look exasperated or disinterested, but don't really add much to the story. Yeah, well, I think that's just part of his character because he retired. And like most white dads who retire, he's all about that golf life. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I think that's just like a 
dad like a stereotypical dad thing mm. like my like my dad's not retired but he goes to the golf course like maybe like three times a week mm. and <laughs> it's just it, it's just a dad thing to do so um i don't know if it's if it's like the lack of fleshing things out it's just like a it's just like an archetypal dad yeah well thing. i mean i feel like he's kind of like alice where he doesn't meddle in things whereas Mimi and her mom are both huge meddlers like that's the one point where you can tell that they are mother and daughter because they both involve themselves in situations where they shouldn't involve themselves I thought it was really funny how um I I think Jennifer did a really good job setting this up but in the very first first chapter or like the second chapter I'm not sure but it's like in the very beginning of the book uh Mimi answers her mom's phone call while she's with Josh for the first time because she says that her mom would go nuts if she doesn't pick up. Um, so she has to she has to pick up the phone. She has to pick up the call. But towards the end of the book, when Tammy attacks Mimi, uh, her mom is calling the entire time. And then eventually her mom calls the police station because <laughs> Mimi because Mimi's not answering her phone. And I was like, oh, that's like such a clever way to like plant that. Um, because throughout the book, like Mimi's mom is constantly setting her setting her up on dates and constantly like calling and messaging. Um, and it's yeah. like a really funny mother daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a definitely it, it's like a much closer mom daughter relationship i've seen in in books by asian authors um because there's always that because for a lot of like asian mother daughter relationships that i've seen in books uh there's just like that language barrier and just like the short there's 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 a gap so oftentimes like the mother and daughter aren't as close but it seems like Mimi it, Mimi is very, very close to everyone in her family. Like yeah. she does game night with them every week, which is a level of dedication that I I don't see a lot with Asian families. At, at least the ones that are like portrayed on screen or page, right? I think, you know. Um... I mean, even among my friends, I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone in, in my circle where they like, talk to their parents that often mm. and go see them that often uh i want to say like i mean I've, I've definitely seen that from my end i mean my family is very close and i have friends who you know call their parents like every day or every week and yeah i mean it definitely exists it doesn't make of course for it does yeah. as strong drama or it's it's not the type of drama you think about when you think about immigrant families, right? But it's definitely there. I mean, there's definitely such a thing as super menly moms, and um, about people who like don't hate their parents. And you know, some people take a while to get there. Some people are there already. You know, you can definitely tell they have a really good relationship because she keeps picking up her mom's calls, even though she gets mad at her all the time. And I mean, that's the thing. You can be mad at your parents, but still like be close with them. You know, that's I think that's more that's a more realistic relationship that I've seen is like, you know, your parents do stuff they think is are good for you. And you're like, stop doing stuff for me. Stop setting me up on dates. Stop setting me up on dates where the other person doesn't know they're on a date. Because oh, that, that happens. It was, it was so times. bad. <laughs> I was really surprised that Mimi actually went through with the dates because honestly, if honestly, if someone set me up up on a date and they didn't ask for my permission i would just not go well i would just ghost here's where like my personal experience comes into play here it's less about going on the date because you feel obligated to it's more to go on the date that you know is going to go bad so you can tell your parents like this is how i went this is why you need to stop you know uh, which doesn't seem to work with her mom because her mom's like, oh i'll just try again next time but like it, it's definitely like it's definitely that energy of i'm gonna go to this obvious train wreck to show you how much of a train wreck it's going to be. Like the um, date with the student. Oh my god. It was it was, it was was the worst. Like, oh my god. It was like a job interview. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because... Okay, right. What was it? It was like her mom set her up with a pre-med student from college. Didn't she tell him that Mimi's a vet or something? Yeah, because he wants to be a vet. Yeah. And... Uh, 
And he's like, oh, maybe you'll give me life and career advice. And she's just like, I take care of grooming. That's not really like a veterinary yeah. uh, field. But yeah, like the dates were really cringy, but they added like <laughs> such great comedy to the book. So I really appreciated those scenes. Yeah. Like, um, speaking uh, of dates, though, I think we should move on to Josh, because one of my favorite scenes in this book is the game night that he actually goes to. Yeah, I love that he picked Clue, which is definitely a fun family game for game night. Is it? <laughs> are you saying are you saying that with sarcasm or <laughs> It's um I mean, I personally love Clue, but I love to meta game Clue. Like I don't play Clue to play Clue. I I play Clue to play others. So I definitely related to Josh. Because I've definitely, like, he's a guy who definitely knows how to play Clue. He knows how to use, strategically use the game's rules to manipulate others' perceptions, which is where the fun in Clue is, kind of trying to come up with um, strategies to throw your other players off, right? If you play Clue just as is, it's kind of boring. Um, but if you play it as like a, a metagame, it's, it's a lot of fun. But it's definitely not, a, and, you know, even Mimi even says this, like, Clue is like the family's least favorite game because it stresses her mom out, um, because her mom, I guess it's also hyper competitive and loves to win. But like, yeah, like Josh was able to use that to his advantage and kind of feed her the answer, um, which was very like, which is indicative of, of high level clue players. So I would like to play clue against Josh and like have a game of wits. I thought it was really um, like, I thought it was really funny when Mimi says like, oh my God, why am I so bad at clue? I like, like I'm trying to clear myself from from being a murderer in real life, but I can't I can't solve the case in a clue game. Like, how am I supposed to do this in real life? And I'm like, oh god, it's because it's because she's a terrible detective. I really liked the fact that um, so like so like Mimi being so impulsive, she invites Josh to game night, and it's like they. They haven't well, really her, done a date yet. Her parents invite him to game night and she doesn't say no. Well, she like what what happens is her mom tries to hook her up on another date and she says, "Mom, I have a boyfriend now." And literally that decision happened like the day before. Like it was very very <laughs> <laughs> like she had just started going out with Josh and she's like, "Oh, let's meet my parents." And I'm like, "Don't do that." Like <laughs> <laughs> like at least, at least wait a couple weeks before you bring your boyfriend over for for game night. Um and Josh doesn't make it and I just really I just really thought it was funny uh with like the contrast between the first game night that he was unable to attend and then like the second game night when he was able to go. Cuz on, on the first game night they have all of these like delicious uh Malaysian snacks. And um, her parents are kind of dressed up in a nicer fashion. Uh, and they're, like, so excited to meet him. But he doesn't show up. And her dad's like, so does this Josh guy actually exist? Or did you just create him so your mom would stop bothering you with dates? <laughs> and uh, and then, like, the second game night, like, they don't even try. They're like, oh, we're going to bring out all of, like, the, the really... Um, we're going to bring out the snacks that you kind of need an acquired taste for, and we're not going to dress up. And uh, the mom, the mom is talking in like her quote unquote proper English. So there's like this, like there's like this shift in like how they're treating Josh. Cause they're like, Oh, you like ghosted us. So, so we're, this is our way of getting back at you. Yeah. The family is very petty, especially the mom. Asian moms are always petty, though. Uh, yeah. I, the mom was a character, for sure. She's like... But to be fair, I feel like Mimi does enable her to be that way. Because she puts up no fight at all. Like, she, yeah. like, complains about it, but she doesn't... Like, there are no consequences for her mom doing this stuff to her daughter. This is why, like, <laughs> in real life, I could never be friends with someone like Mimi. <laughs> she would drive me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Josh, um, just one more thing about Josh. He, like, he's like an associate at a law firm. So he doesn't actually take, like, take on really big cases. Well, he's a first year, 
right? He's yeah, he he's just like, started yeah, he's, the firm. So when you first started the firm, like you don't really do any lawyering. Well, he lost his first case. So it even pushes him back right. in towards of advancing his career. Um, I just thought that this is like one of my um, tiny criticisms about the book. So Josh is representing Mimi um, and trying to like get her cleared off of this murder murder case as like the main suspect but like his boss says hey like you're not putting in the hours like we heard that you're leaving early and you're bringing your girlfriend over because like this one co-worker who's an absolute dick like um just kind of like throws him under the bus and uh josh says like oh i can't really like like spend time with you because i'm logging in like 60 hours uh but at the same time, he seems pretty available. So that was like a tiny criticism that I had where like it didn't really seem congruent with what he was saying. I mean, he was I think that was why he was in trouble, though, was because he wasn't putting in the hours or he wasn't bu- he wasn't building hours on the clock. Like he was doing a lot of pro bono work. And so like he he mentioned that the firm offers like certain hours for pro bono work but that their bosses wasn't happy that he was kind of focusing on that right now when he should be focusing on working on hours actually bringing the firm and money um so i think the fact that he was not prioritizing his time to the to the wishes of the firm was like a plot point i mean that that's why he had time to help mimi because he was kind of prioritizing those hours instead of his work hours and it was causing him to work late which is why he like wasn't there for like like the latter half of the book a lot. I kind of wish that like when he was helping out Mimi, he helped out more cuz he seemed to like like when he when he helps her out, you don't see him. He's doing stuff like be- behind the scenes and going through like paperwork. I kind of wish that he was with Mimi on some of her excursions uh even though he advised her not to do it. I mean, he couldn't, right? Because he's at work. I mean, he's also not a criminal lawyer, right? I guess. Uh, But he's not like, you know, he wasn't the main character. I know, but like, I kind of wish he was more, like, I kind of wish I saw more of him. That's just like a tiny criticism that I had. I mean, I really like Josh as a character. I I like that he was, um, even though he's like her lawyer, he wasn't necessarily super competent at it um, because he's new and because he's not a criminal lawyer. Um, So he like... Like he definitely knows some stuff, but he wasn't like he's not like a hotshot lawyer that you get to like defend yourself in the murder case. So it was kind of cool to see him stumble and fumble through um, helping her as well. Uh, in addition to being exasperated by her constant like putting herself in jeopardy and like, incriminating herself, um, you really felt for him. But like you know, you can tell that he really he really likes her, and you know they had that you know, meet cute in the in the laundry room. And like he cooked, um, did, didn't he cook like masubi for her or something? Like he, he yeah, like, he cooked masubi for her. Yeah. Um, he has like this cute thing with fortune cookies. Like he <laughs> saves up the fortunes in a jar for like when he needs a pick me up, which yeah. I thought was extremely weird and kind of serial killer ish. But hey, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you definitely tell that he is like I, I've I've known guys like him, you know, where like they're. They're trying to balance starting this new job and like finding this girl that they really like and finding a reason to see this girl that they really like and kind of balancing the whole thing with the expectations of like a high demanding job that you really want to not lose and like this personal life that you also don't want to lose and that tension. And yeah, we, we probably could have spent more time in his head, but it was also a first person narrative from Mimi's perspective. So um, we probably wouldn't have had like that kind of insight to what he was thinking. Um, we might have more of that in the sequel, uh, which is Mimi Lee reads between the lines. Um, a murder also happens in that book. Yeah. Uh, it happens at Alice's school. Um, and she's already in a relationship with Josh. So maybe we'll get to see more of him in, in the sequel. Yeah. I mean, if I had one criticism of the story is how like everything seems to work out for everyone at the end. Like Mimi solves the case or quote unquote solves the case by having the case solve itself. Um, Josh is able to help. Um, Mimi's able, 
Mimi's able to get Josh a big client for his firm to save his career. Mimi's able to get on the news for free free marketing for her dog shop. It all comes together in a nice, neat little bow, which is fine. It's that kind of story where like you get your unambiguously happy ending, right? Um, but to me, it kind of just felt a little too neat. Um, but maybe that's just because I'm a cynic at heart. And I was like, this isn't believable. This isn't how it's going to happen. This is I mean, there's a there's a talking cat in it, Marvin. Of course, it's like not going to be believable. Um, speaking of speaking of um, marshmallow, one of my favorite scenes is when she's breaking into Magnus's uh, nursery of Chihuahuas, uh-huh. and uh, Marshmallow is like, "Stay here. Uh, I'm going to go talk to the dogs." And Marshmallow says, "Okay, we're we're good. I told the dogs that I'm a cat police, like I'm a police cat." And, and 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 I think the exact quote that Marshmallow says is dogs are so gullible. And it's one of my favorite scenes. Um I mean the whole characterization I, of the animals was pretty like it's pretty I mean, if you think about the if we were to give personalities to animals, dogs are dumb, are happy and dumb, and cats are like, you know, smart and sneaky. I mean, it definitely worked out for Mimi because she's so bad at detecting and uh, Marshmallow is way more uh, way more apt when it comes to following up on clues. Well, I really like the interactions between Marshmallow and like the puppies when like other puppies were like being upset by his presence. Like there would always be, a you know, one of the the rust puppies would like vouch for him. Right. It's like, don't worry, guys. This cat's cool. Um, yeah, that yeah, happened but, like, like multiple we- times. Yeah, it happened multiple times, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it. It's funny because like Mimi would find these clues, but you know she doesn't have an alibi. Uh, all she has is like, oh, th- these dogs said that they heard a second woman in the apartment, but how? Like, but she can't explain that to the detective because it's like, <laughs> how are you talking to dogs? <laughs> So it really created like this fun conflict in the story. Um, I really liked Magnus as a character. I liked ho- I, I liked how his relationship with me- Mimi was just like, like it was like a weird fluctuation in their relationship. Because it's like Mimi goes thinking that he is like in cahoots with Russ Nolan, that he's treating dogs like poorly. But she goes and he's like a really good breeder who actually cares about his animals and has like the proper tools. And she's like, oh, he's muscular. So he must have bashed Russ's head with his <laughs> with his bare he- hands. And I'm like, really? Like, 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 come on, Mimi. Like, why? Why would you even suspect him? Um and like they seem yeah. to have like this, it's like oh he he's like upset that she is like snooping around, but at the same time he's like constantly inviting her over. It, it's like a really, yeah, it's like a weird relationship, but it works out because he like helps her with like the genetically defected dogs in the end. Well, I mean, they kind of find themselves like kindred spirits, right? They're both people who really love animals and really and who really care about the the care of them right i I think um, that's something that they find with each other they both want to make sure that these puppies find a good home and that kind of spurs like the third act like you know thing that helps helps um magnus get all the puppies adopted and also helps um josh with his with his uh with his problems with his work i like how he did like photo shoots as well, like photo shoots of the dogs. He's like, I'm going to dress them up in costumes and sell like postcards <laughs> out of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's such a dog owner thing to do. I mean, it's also just like he's there to to give you a counterpoint to um, the Russ Nolan character, who is this wannabe dog breeder, but is like not like he mistreats his animals, keeps them in um, like terrible conditions and like kind of like Russ Nolan, the the man who gets murdered. Um, he is like the dark side of Indira, right? Like he's also preying on the gullibility of rich, privileged people uh, and selling them like quote unquote prize puppies for cheap, right? He's like capitalizing on people who are super rich but don't want to spend money because they're also the super rich people hate spending money. And 
but he does it through mistreatment of like animals. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Um, final. Any final thoughts about about Mimi Lee gets a clue? Does she get a clue? I mean, she gets multiple clues, but does she have a clue? And that's question. She she gets multiple clues, but she doesn't get the answer. I um I really enjoyed reading the book. It was a nice like lighter read, and like you know, it was fun to just see. It was a lot of character work and a lot of just like characters interacting with with each other and kind of delving into this life of like the rich and privileged and the working class people that serve them. Um, like the mystery itself was a fun way to like kind of drive me into all these situations. I was like, I, I mean, I, I wrote multiple times in my notes, like she is such a bad detective, um, but I think that's, you know, once you, once you get over the fact that you're not going to get like Sherlock levels of detecting here, like it was a lot of fun to follow. Yeah. I mean, we've read books where the detective or the person who's investigating, they're like geniuses, like in Devotion of Suspect X and uh, IQ. So it was nice to have like a different kind of investigator. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> my my overall impression of it was it was a fun read. Um, it took me a while to get into it because I was expecting... Uh, the mystery to really take the reins in the narrative, but it didn't, which is fine because it's a cozy mystery. So um, if you're into that kind of subgenre, uh, I recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I found myself actually, I, I finished the book in like a day. It wasn't that I couldn't put it down, but it was just it written. It's written in a way that like you can just like lose yourself in the book. And like the characters themselves were just so much fun to be around um, that like it was it was a. It turned out to be a pretty um, quick read for me, which which was nice. Yeah, same here. I finished it in a couple of hours. Um, the sequel, Mimi Lee reads the the sequel, Mimi Lee reads between the lines. It actually comes out this year as well. Uh, it's coming yeah. out in November, so a pretty pretty quick turnaround. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that Jennifer wrote both of them, uh, like at around the same time which is why they're releasing in the same year. But I'm probably going to read the sequel. Yeah. Kind of want to you want to know what happens, right? <laughs> I I just want to see more of Josh. Mm. I want to see how that relationship plays out. That's true. That's true because now that um now that Mama Lee has secured a boyfriend for for Mimi, now it's now comes the pressure for marriage and kids, you know. You know that's next. She's you've only twenty five. You've been dating. Oh, that's you know, for these for these aunties, that's like old. That's depressing. She'll I just turned like, thirty last week. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not married yet, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what did you think of Mimi Lee gets a clue? Um, let us know in our Goodreads forums. You can find it by searching "Books and Boba" on Goodreads. And for the month of May, we're going to be reading. The Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston. So we are reading an Asian American literature classic. Yeah, we figured it's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Um, let's let's um, let's dig into some of our heritage. I guess um, <laughs> this is a book that um, most people who have ever taken the Asian American literature class has probably read. Yeah, I I am not very well versed in Asian American literature classics. I mean, I haven't read The Joy Luck Club, and that is like a staple in Asian American literature. Um, I did not take any Asian American literature classes or cultural studies classes. Um, Most of the stuff I know has been through just helping out with events here in L.A. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited to dig into dig into a classic yeah we'll be discussing the woman warrior um at the end of may so um please read along and on that note um that'll do it for our discussion of our april 2020 book club pick and that's also a wrap for april 2020 um viewer as always thanks for joining and discussing books with us of course and stay safe everyone yeah we'll see you next time on books and boba bye everyone bye
Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue. This podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival by going to their website at vcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcasts by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. Kathy, Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me. What do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pods because, you know, they're bad for the environment. Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?